Thank you for joining the Red Clinic Podcast. My name is Dr. Schwalen. I'm a licensed psychologist and expert in the treatment of eating disorders. Today, I have a very special guest joining me, Dr. Stevie Puckett-Perez, pediatric psychologist and very good friend of mine. So thank you for joining. I'm very excited that you're here today. Thank you for having me, Dr. Schwalen. Absolutely. I hope that this is a, a thing we continue. So um, do you mind telling everybody just a little bit about your background, what you do for a living as a pediatric psychologist, and then we will talk about real specific topics that have to do with kids, eating disorders, ARFID, and even what they can be mistaken as medically sometimes or missed by parents. We'll talk about all of that in just a minute, but tell everybody who you are. Got it. Well, I am Stevie Puckett-Perez. I'm a pediatric psychologist at Children's Medical Center in Dallas. I treat kids in the GI department. So GI means gastroenterology, and that means that kids, teens, and young adults who come to see me um, have some kind of GI condition going on. Okay. And so GI is like the stomach and... Yeah. So, um, you know, maybe TMI, but GI goes from your mouth all the way to the rectum and it is everything in between, everything that digests your food um, and all of those different wonderful parts. Okay. See, that's the kind of stuff that we love talking about on this show, actually. <laughs> so we've done a few episodes on the Red Clinic podcast about the... Um, the brain-gut access yeah. and the way that nutrition absolutely has an impact on our mood and yes. the way that we can feel our feelings in our gut and things like that. And I'm sure that's definitely conversations that you have with your patients also. Every day. Let's talk about that then. Yeah. And let's also kind of let the audience know a little bit about how sometimes when patients are having those types of symptoms it can also be because they have an eating disorder. Certainly, yeah. So the types of kids and patients that I see, they come to me usually when they're having some type of challenging GI symptom. And so they end up at a GI specialist, and they're there because they're having some belly pain, some nausea, constipation, diarrhea, vomiting, reflux, any of those wonderful GI conditions. And oftentimes when their GI doctor says, come and see one of our wonderful psychologists, they're pretty confused when they come and see me. Mm. Like, what is a psychologist going to do for my stomach? Right. Um, I'm so glad you said that because a lot of times, even at the Red Clinic, eating disorder patients have been on a medical journey where they've tried to rule things out, they're getting this test or that test, they're, they're seeing this specialist or that yeah. specialist, and it's been, for a lot of them, extremely exhausting, it's been somewhat traumatizing, especially if they're younger, yeah. um, and they don't have any answers, and then all of a sudden they're referred to someone like me, you know, a psychologist, like, what, how did they get yeah, here? But I'm not crazy. Right, mm -hmm. so speak on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and so um, oftentimes... When they're dealing with these medical conditions, um, GI psychologists and people like us even exist because of how much mood, the environment, your habits, your behaviors impact what you're feeling in your body, specifically the gut. Um, and so I kind of describe to them that you're not crazy. You're not here because you're crazy. I see um, people with any type of mental health background and also people without any mental health conditions whatsoever can have these sorts of issues arise in their gut and mood and behavior and all of those things still impact it regardless of whether or not you experience anxiety, depression, behavior concerns, the types of things people normally associate with a psychologist. Right. 
And so then how, I mean, what kinds of things would you do in an appointment with them? I yeah. mean, what does that look like? When they come see me, I'm getting lots of background information to try to understand what they've been dealing with. Because you said it, they've usually been on a journey. Mm -hmm. And by the time they see me, they've seen multiple specialists. Um, and oftentimes kids and even their families walk away feeling like they've been told nothing's wrong with me. No one knows what's wrong with me. It's all in my head or some other really negative perception of um, what they're experiencing. Um, and then they get told, go see a psychologist, and that just adds fuel to the fire. And so I often am doing some damage control in those first meetings to try to um, really understand what the family has been through, understand what challenging experiences they've had with the medical community, and then reframe for them kind of what a psychologist can be helpful for and why they might be experiencing those sorts of things in their gut. Okay. Would you like me to kind of give you my spiel yeah, of so what I... I mean, the yeah. more real we can make this for our audience, the better. Yeah. So oftentimes I will explain that different types of conditions um, for which they might be referred, some things like functional GI disorders, which means essentially that even though your gut is healthy and the structures in your gut are functioning as they should, you are getting kind of inaccurate signals going on. So your nerves are firing when they're not supposed to. Your gut can get really sensitized to pain and digestion and other types of um, kind of sensory input. And it can impact, you know, constipation, diarrhea, nausea. And you can start having quite a lot of pain. And that pain, you know, normally when we feel pain, we think, okay, something's wrong, something's damaged, something very bad is happening, fix it. And um, in the gut, it can be really challenging because a lot of the times those messages can get sent inaccurately, even though you're totally safe and healthy. And so kids get sent to me when those kind of messages start misfiring and they're getting a lot of pain or discomfort in their bellies, even though they're safe and don't have an underlying medical condition. And so I'll often explain serotonin and kind of the link between those chemicals that impact our mood, but also impact our gut. Right. And I mean, you know, for you audience members that tuned in um, a few episodes ago, we talked about how our gut actually has, you know, hundreds and millions more neuron receptors or for serotonin yeah. and norepinephrine and all of that than our brain even does. Yeah. And so it's 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 like a second brain, essentially. It is. And we say that in the GI clinic. And oftentimes, you know, we think of serotonin as this brain chemical, but at any given moment, if you were to take a snapshot in the body, about 95% of it would be in your GI tract at any given moment. Wow. So when you think about what's going on with mood and what regulates mood, it's all right there in the gut. In the gut. And that's mm -hmm. why we have our sayings in our in our just normal everyday conversation yeah. of, you know, go with your gut and what does your gut say and that's right. a gut feeling and yeah. listen to that and I tell I tell parents too you know when I explained that we can create a GI problem in any human no, no matter what essentially um, if we stress you out enough and if we get those mood chemicals to change enough we can cause anyone to have nausea vomiting constipation diarrhea belly pain um, because those chemicals fluctuate with your mood and some people's threshold is much higher and they can tolerate a lot more before they start having GI symptoms. And a lot of times, especially in kids, that threshold is lower. And so those symptoms can get triggered a lot easier. And so that's a lot of why we know that, that children will tell us how they're feeling based on what they're experiencing in their GI, right? Yeah. So it's tummy aches, butterfly sensations, um, 
just feeling their feelings in their gut. Yeah, and it's the number one um, referral to emergency departments that kids come to the ER for belly pain. And oftentimes, the number one reason for belly pain is actually, actually, actually functional GI issues, meaning that there's no damage or nothing wrong in there. You're just feeling those feelings in your belly. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because yeah. that functional GI phrase is really mm-hmm. confusing to oh, a lot of people. It is. Yeah. It's confusing to me too. I do this every day and it can be confusing to me. Oftentimes, um, kids and families can go through seeing GI doctors and pediatricians and all of these different providers. um, And in their notes or the way um, their providers might be thinking about what's going on with them as they try to understand their issues, oftentimes their providers are calling it or thinking about it as a functional GI disorder, meaning that there's no damage in the gut. These are inaccurate sensations that are being sent. It is very real. It's not imaginary. They're not being dramatic or making it up, but it's a functional GI disorder, meaning there's no damage, there's no medication that undoes it or nothing that needs to be surgically altered. It's just kind of these misfiring signals. But oftentimes families and kids never actually hear those phrases themselves. They think they're just being seen for belly pain and no one has ever even explained to them what that really means. Got it. And you know, because I'm really confused by the term functional GI issue, I always made the connection and explained it to families um, whenever it it is a functional GI issue in my clinic and I need to refer out. Um, I've said, well, the fact that like the function it serves is to tell us that there's something going on emotionally or something else, right? We're having, it's serving a function. Hey, hey, (laughs) you know what? That's not a bad way to think of it. It's serving a function to make us pay attention Mm -hmm. to maybe the fact that we are under stress or that we are having some kind of um, emotional expression in our body. And that's kind of a way I've explained it because I really was like, what is functional GI? What? How do you even explain this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I totally understand. And you know what? Um, it's, it's also confusing because in the world of medicine and psychology, things have changed quite a bit over time. We used to think that if somebody was experiencing a functional issue in their body, meaning that everything is safe, what we, what we call organic, there's no organic damage in the body, yet these symptoms are persisting or happening anyway, Um, we used to think that meant there must be some underlying trauma, anxiety, emotional experience that triggered that. Now, research has shown that that does not have to be the case. That's one reason that people might experience those things in their bodies, but there are many, many reasons why that can happen, and it can happen to any of us. In fact, it does happen to all of us all of the time. If you think of how you feel for example, on a Sunday night compared to how you feel on a Friday night. Mm, Mm -hmm. Got it. Right? Like kids and adults alike, even if you love school or you love work and you're passionate about your days and what you do, you tend to feel a little bit differently Friday night than you do on Sunday night as you're preparing for your week. You might notice more tension. You might have more of a headache. You might be a little more irritable. And those things don't mean you have anxiety or a mental health condition. It's just our body's response to our environment. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Functional GI. I love it. Well, thank (laughs) you for breaking that down. So now let's talk about the link between functional GI and eating disorders. What have you seen in clinic? Yeah, so I um, often get kids when they're dealing, like I said, with pain or some really complicated condition that is impacting their daily life. And that usually means it's impacting their ability to go to school, their ability to do the things they like to do, um, but also just their daily habits like sleep and eating. 
oftentimes kids will find that eating ends up being a trigger for that pain. Not only stress and other things too, but sometimes they'll say like activity hurts my stomach, so I've stopped doing all activities. Or eating hurts my stomach, so I just eat as little as possible and I, you know, try to avoid eating. And um, then they lose weight and then those kids, um, their stomachs literally shrink and can tolerate less and less food over time. And they start having other medical kind of side effects as part of that. Okay. And then when you have to let families know that actually there's a different course of treatment we have to take here, how do you explain that? How do you get them to follow your recommendations? And if you don't mind, speak to maybe some experiences that you've had um, regarding like the family's um, absorption of that information. Like how did they adjust to it? How do you break the news that you think that there might actually be an eating disorder there? Yeah. Well, I would say first that it's a challenge because when they see me, they're usually already overwhelmed and confused by the idea that something is going on with my child's stomach and um, usually they're pretty defensive of this is not stress. He's not anxious. I don't know why this is happening. Um, And so we're starting there. And then as I'm doing the interview and learning about what their eating is like, how long this has gone on, um, how they're avoiding food and you know, now having some other symptoms and beliefs about that rather than just um, avoiding pain, then that becomes a difficult conversation to sort of shift gears and say, okay, this is a problem and it certainly needs to be treated, this kind of pain experiencing these functional GI issues you're having. But now it's also morphed into an eating disorder. And I'll usually pause and say, you know, what do you think when I say eating disorder? What's your response to that? Um, and oftentimes people's understanding of what that means is usual, usually what they see on TV, um, what they hear from kind of teenagers on social media or what they see online. Um, and usually that means to them anorexia or bulimia. And so then I'm kind of introducing a new and different way of thinking about eating disorders as well, something called avoidant restrictive food intake disorder, which most people don't know about. Right, ARFID. We've yeah. done many episodes on what's ARFID and what's picky eating yeah. and how do you know when it's an actual eating disorder. Mm-hmm. And then I have seen a fair amount of kids where it morphs into ARFID, where they've revo- they're avoiding food out of fear of pain or some discomfort. But then after they do that for so long, it they start to get other gain from that. And they start to notice they like how they feel when they're not eating as much or they've lost weight and people are commenting on that and they're getting a lot of reinforcement and feedback for now being thinner and a lot of attention and care. Um, And that starts to carry a different meaning for them. And then I do see it morph into more traditional, what we think of as anorexia. Right. And there, and there's a lot of research that shows that children with ARFID are actually at higher risk for developing anorexia mm. the longer the ARFID persists. Wow. Yeah, I believe that. Yep. And you're seeing it in clinic. I do, it's yeah. really cool. And so I end up, um, and it ends up being quite a challenge because even if those families are, you know, come around to that idea and they're open and, and ready to figure out what treatment they need to find to address the eating concerns, the underlying pain and functional issues are still there too. And it can be a challenge of, you know, chicken or the egg and which thing to tackle first. Because mm-hmm. oftentimes those courses of treatment look pretty different. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I have that conversation with my clients all the time in the Red Clinic. We talk about you know, maybe we need to get you stabilized in one area before we can even try to address the eating disorder. So we absolutely have to do some of that balancing in, um, at all, all levels of care, I think. 
Now, now speak to when families come to you directly. I mean, how often does that even happen? Because I know right now my audience members are probably thinking, well, my kid complains of stomach pain all the time. Do I need to go see somebody like Dr. Puckett Perez? And how would they know? Yeah. And so I would say look for a pattern, right? Because everyone is going to have a headache and a stomach ache here, here and there. And when it becomes a problem is when it's interfering with your functioning, when you're noticing that, you know, my during midterms and finals and star testing and all of these other things, we're having lots of stomach aches and trouble getting out of bed and nausea. And, um, you know, that would benefit from some additional support usually, especially if it's a persistent pattern and it's been going on for some time. Oftentimes people will come to me and they'll be like, well, he's been this way ever since kindergarten. And it's just <laughs> totally normal to them that their kid complains of their belly hurting all the time. Right. And, you know, what we do as psychologists is we also help um, parents kind of realize how much they've been compensating yeah. for how their child presents. Mm -hmm. And so they don't even realize it because it's normal for them too mm -hmm. to kind of do all this extra work just to get their kid through the day. Yeah. And so um, the way kids get to me specifically is through their GI doctor. So I'm kind of um, hidden away pretty much yeah. in, the, in the hospital system that kids start with their pediatricians and their pediatricians usually will try to support um, addressing their belly pain, may even make referrals for seeing a psychologist if there is some kind of overt underlying anxiety that would warrant some support. Um, and then beyond that, if GI issues keep persisting, then they'll get sent to a gastroenterologist. And it's when they get sent to a gastroenterologist that then that gastroenterologist would then send them on to see me or include me in their care of that patient. Okay, I see. So it's it's definitely a team approach. Mm -hmm. It's a very multidisciplinary like referral process to get to you. Yeah. But that said, a lot of the exact same things that um, psychologists and therapists in the community and different centers do for treating anxiety is the exact same stuff we do for treating belly pain and GI issues because okay. we're trying to tackle those same underlying chemicals. Okay. Well, thank mm -hmm. you for saying that. That yeah. kind of makes it more accessible for our, our folks out there listening. Yeah, so you don't have to wait until you've gone to your pediatrician and then multiple specialists and testing to go and work with a psychologist on non-pharmacological pain management or GI management strategies. Same thing for headaches and just body aches and other things that you might notice with your kiddo if, if your pediatrician or other doctors have already said they're safe, they're okay. Right, and I like that you said that because um, a lot of times – parents don't think to ask, you know, what's going on? Are there changes in my child's life? How could they possibly be feeling or, mm -hmm. or what's going on with them psychologically, emotionally, anything like that? Because if parents do stop to ask that question, they may be more willing to, to understand that, you know, we always say on, on our parenting um, podcast, uh, you know, that checkup from the neck up, like mm -hmm. go and get that yeah. assessment with the psychologist and get that perspective as part of your your workup. I mean, you're doing the medical workups. You're going to all the specialists. Absolutely. It's a great thing to include the mental health professional in that in that team approach to helping your child. You know, I would say it takes a village, right? And we know that as pediatric psychologists, we can't do it with just one type of um, caregiver or provider. We need help. And I would add to that that um, 
if you choose not to include that, you might be missing out on some really, really great opportunities and skills for your child, which are really generalizable across a lot of settings. And it's not an acknowledgement or an admission that something is wrong with your child, just like you take them to the pediatrician, supporting them from every angle possible. And I, you know, I'm a biased psychologist, <laughs> but um, I think that even seeing a psychologist who works with this sort of thing a few times in a row can be incredibly helpful because these skills are generalizable across all settings because those same kids are going to be the kids who are going off to college one day and their stomach's hurting and they're nauseated and, you know, getting migraines. And those same kids are going to be the ones who graduate and are, you know, in powerful jobs that require a lot from them. And then parents themselves later that re ends up with plenty of stress and um, these skills are generalizable and they can carry throughout their lives, unlike those prescriptions that the doctor might give for alleviating that belly pain for a few weeks. No, I totally, uh, I, of course I'm biased too, and I agree with that, <laughs> right? Um, but you're right, it takes more than just one session. It takes several sessions, give, you know, give that child an opportunity to even build a relationship with the provider and um, really learn and generalize those skills. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today on the Red Clinic Podcast. I hope you come back soon. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Schwalen. Absolutely. My pleasure. And there you have it. That's Thread Clinic Podcast. See you next week.